Do you know a family looking to enrich their children's Jewish learning? Some want to give their children Jewish enrichment beyond what they're learning in day school. Others don't send their kids to private Jewish day school. And many Jewish parents today homeschool, but still need a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. That's why I created Kita. Kita offers serious Jewish learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school-aged children receive three Khan Academy-style lessons each week and also participate in a weekly Zoom lesson. Over this past year, children and Jewish families around the world studied and developed their Jewish learning skills with Kita. Now, we're looking to build on our incredible success as we open enrollment for the fall 2021 semester. Courses will include the 10 trials of Avraham Avinu as we study texts from Reishit, Megillat Ruth, as well as Mishnah Masechet Sukkah. To schedule a consultation and find out if Kita is right for your family, visit kita.org slash home plus and fill in the registration form. That's kita, K-I-T-A-H dot org slash home plus. everybody. Welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly, your weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. My name is Ruvain Spolter. I'm the director of Kita, the founder and director of Kita.org, an online learning initiative for middle school kids and homeschool. I'm here with Rabbanit Mali Bravsky. Rabbanit Mali Bravsky is the Shana Bet uh, um, Madricha, I always get it wrong. Oh, I got it right. At MMY. Director, <laughs> I got Madricha. that correct. You got it close. What? <laughs> Director, not Madricha, but okay. Director at MMY and a, uh, a practicing social worker in Alon Shvut. And a Rabbi Johnny Solomon. Rabbi Johnny Solomon is the virtual Rebbe. Uh, he's a writer, an editor, um, and an uh, all around good speaker. If you're programming your scholarly residences for the coming year, bring Harvard Johnny to your community. Not only you won't be sorry, You'll thank me. You'll send me an email and say, Ruben, thank you for helping us bring Johnny to our community. It was amazing. Johnny, welcome to our program. Thank you. And, and perhaps we'll add, if anybody wants all three of us, uh, you know, in person or online. In Israel. In Israel. Weekly to, no, they can uh, fly okay. in. Oh, online will be anywhere, okay. right. If, if you want to bring some exciting discussion to your community <laughs> and are tired of having some rabbi, you want to get a passionate panel. We'll call ourselves the passionate panel. Reach out to Johnny. What? No, reach out to us. Anyway, uh, before we begin our topic today, today we're going to discuss uh, raising teens today, um, especially in light of, of the past year post-COVID, but also we're going to talk about it in general. But before we do so, I want to sort, to sort of touch on our interview last week with uh, Harabanit Shira Mervis, which was really, really fascinating. I enjoyed the conversation. We've gotten wonderful feedback. And she raises a number of issues that touch on the issues of women's leadership in general in the Orthodox community. And we're gonna, I just wanted to mention that we're going to continue this discussion and we're going to talk about it, but we felt that we wanted to give it a little bit of time and we wanted to digest it and we wanted to think about it and think about how to talk about it in a positive, um, in a positive forward-thinking way. 
So if you're waiting for us to talk about that issue, it's coming. Stay tuned. And I think there's also something to be said for uh, wise uh, advice that I heard from one of our, my co-panelists about digesting things and thinking about them and then, and then uh, talking about them afterwards. So thank you, whoever you are, Molly. Anyway, um, <laughs> teens, in Israel we're out of COVID. In America they're coming out of COVID. Um, and I think that any parent who's raising teenagers or contemplating raising teenagers understands that this year has been especially particularly challenging. Many children are at home, even if children were in school. Uh, in the United States, many of the children are in school, but they were still prevented from many of their normal social activities. Many of them weren't able to go to shul on Shabbat or with their regular youth groups. Many of the things that they normally do have been canceled, and many of the times that they were learning have been online learning. Here in Israel, uh, my wife is an English teacher, and it's, it's fair to say that while I really, I mean, I think the teachers here, everybody says online learning was not worth anything. I don't think that's true, but nonetheless, I think it's fair to say that kids definitely missed much of a year of learning. And uh, here in Israel, kids are approaching the Bagriot, many of them. I, I feel terrible for the kids that are, that are struggling with Bagriot, with their matriculation exams, and I'm sure in America it's the same way, having literally missed a year of school. And so they missed a year academically. Moreover, they've missed a year of, I would say, of, of spiritual development, and it's almost impossible to know how the past year and how the, the events of the past year will shape their way of thinking moving forward. What does a pandemic do to a, to a developing spiritual personality? How is it that we're supposed to think about um, addressing these issues? especially when it comes to ourselves, but when it comes to especially our kids as well. So thankfully, we have a licensed practicing social worker on our, on our panel. And so I'd like to first talk to Molly. And uh, Molly, I'd like you to, you know, I raised a few questions. You can either choose to <laughs> address them or ignore them as is your want. Take it away. Okay, so I think when we talk about this issue, when I think about teens, um, I think about their developmental trajectory. Like, as you said, I'm thinking about it from a, from, yeah, hold on one second. I'm just going to, can you hear me better now? Yeah. Um, I, when I think about teen development, I think about the literature on, um, on developmental milestones. And one of the most important things I think that we all need to know about developing teens is that as opposed to elementary school kids, right? The, let's say the, 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 childhood, where the most formative people in a child's life are their family. In adolescence, the most important group for a teen is their peer group. And therefore, um, you know, like, I think it's really important for parents to understand that um, the, the, the peer group that their teens social, the, the question that's, that, that their teen is going to be asking themselves, the way they're going to form their identity in their teen, teen years is not um, mul, whatever the English word is for that, vis-a-vis -vis their parents, it's vis-a-vis -vis their peer group. 
their peer group becomes their, 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 the most important group in their life. So now as parents, what does that mean for us? So I think as parents, what it, it doesn't mean parents aren't important, right? And I'll just say one word about parents, right? The most important, I think the best book on parenting teens from a parenting perspective is a book called, I Hate You, Get Out of My Life, and Now Can You Please Drive Me and Cheryl to the Mall? That's literally, literally the name of the book. Um, and it's, it's about how the role of the parent in a teen's life is, is very much a tight Wait, Say that again. Say that again. I, I, it's something like, you can Google it and make sure I'm getting the title right, but it's I hate you, get out of my life, and now can you please drive me and Cheryl to the mall, right? Where, again, what it's saying about the, the, the relationship between parents and, and teens, that teens are starting to individuate and create their own identity. And All right, I hate you, get out of my life. It's called Get Out of My Life. But first, could you drive me and Cheryl to the mall? There you go. Yeah. Did you find it? <laughs> yeah, I found it. Yeah. I, I was actually going to ask you, and maybe you, like Johnny, you'll touch on this as well, right? An essential part of teenage life is rebellion. Right. So, is finding yourself vis-a-vis -vis your parents. That exactly. conflict. And what happens in a year of COVID when you're literally cooped up at home okay, so, with your so, parents and there's no way to go. But okay. that, you know, if you want to touch on that, that you can well as right, well. Right, no, so I want to get to that. I want to get to it by saying that, that, again, the role of parents in a teen's life is to really be, like, you know those games of tug of war, you're holding one end and the, and the other person is holding the other, the other end? So as a parent, it, with a teen, it's like you're literally doing that tug of war thing. And if you pull too tight, right, that, that, that means that you don't give them enough autonomy because they're really trying to, to find their autonomy. If you pull too tight, you're going to knock the kid over, right? You're going to pull them, you know, it's like Kilo winning the tug of war, but mm -hmm. that's not winning because the kid's going to fall in the mud. But if you let go, right, if you don't have any tension, if, you don't, if you're not holding that kid at all, then the kid's going to go flying in the opposite direction. And so the, 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 the challenge of raising teens is holding that rope with the, with the right amount of tension. You're there for them, you're present for them, you're willing to drive them to the mall, but you're also aware that part of what they're saying to you is get out of my life, leave me alone, let me individuate. And therefore, I'm gonna say that the other, the other piece that I said, which is that the most important group for kids at this point is, is their peers really becomes important. Um, meaning if you as a parent can help your child find a su su successfully navigate his peer groups, find a peer group, any peer group in which he feels accepted, if he feels wanted, if he's having a hard time in one group, right? he's not finding him safe, his, pl his place in school, then you help him find a place outside of school. You help him find a, um, an extracurricular or a youth group or somewhere, right? That's why, by the way, people wonder why it's so hard to move with teens, right? Because it's almost, it, it, it's so painful for, for kids to be uprooted from their social group during these years, right? That's why that, that it's a very tense time when people make, you know, eat, whatever, it's, it's a different side point, but when people move their kids from seventh, eighth, ninth, or 10th, when they're moving in that time, it's very challenging for teens because their most important thing is their peer environment. Now, what does this all have to do with what you really asked, which is Corona dealt a terrible blow to that peer group experience, right? That our kids get in school. Um, in Israel, you have it even more compounded because you often have dorms, which I, when I first met Aliyah, was very against because I was like, what? And the parents, and I still, I still believe that if you can raise, you know, that, that there's a tremendous value of the home, but I understand a little bit more now the Israeli perspective because what they do in Israeli dorm schools, it is not just an intellectual experience, it's a spiritual experience and it's a social experience. And for many of them, I would kids, say the other way around. It's primarily, it's primarily a social, spiritual fine, experience. But, okay, but that's and what I maybe say. hopefully they'll learn something right, intellectual about that's what I want to say, but I think that's actually right when it comes to teens, because the way you you get to their spirituality and the way you get to them intellectually is if they're happy socially. That's like that's like the window in. That's the path in. I actually had a very interesting conversation with a teen recently who said, 
well, we were, we were all out of miscarriage for a year, which was Ruby's question. We were all out of our routine for a year. And you know what? Now we're all struggling. We're all st- struggling spiritually. None of us are feeling it. None of us want to go to shul. None of us want to whatever. And that proves to me that our, our like, the miscarriage, the environments failed us. Because when the environments weren't there, we weren't able to maintain our spirituality. And I said, the opposite. What that shows you is that what you need, you're still a team. You still need the environment. What, what's going to give you that, that spiritual boost, what's going to give you to, that, that um, desire or willingness or sense of connection or sense of spirituality or sense of meaning is going to come through a social, a healthy social environment. And so I think that it was, everybody talks about the rates of depression and anxiety raising during COVID. There's a lot of talk about mothers with young children, which is true, but I think the, 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 the group that probably suffered the most was teens. Because for them, social environment is, is so important developmentally. So to kind in of- your where you lived, interestingly, even during the I, I don't know about the lockdowns, but in between, even if there was no school, were your kids going out on Friday night? Were they meeting each other? Yes, so, you know, so finding ways. They were finding ways, but again, like so they were, but, but like Zoom killed them. There was, I challenge you to find me a high school kid. Maybe there are a few, but most of the high school kids sitting alone in their rooms on Zoom was very difficult right meaning because they they, they they need to be with their peers that yes they did they found ways to get to go out on friday nights right and we were everybody was angry oh look at all the teens without their masks on and hugging and kissing which maybe not kissing but hugging because you know same sex they kept no hand chayot in all the kids no, no, they, no, no. right and we were upset at that but i understand why it's very hard to ask a teen to not do that that's their life's blood so to come back to to your question so i think corona dealt a very yeah a very strong it was a big challenge and I think that our educational systems need to regather the teens, give them a healthy social environment. Um, infu- and again, I, I don't believe, and this is my last point that I'm going to make, there's like a lot of talk about edutainment, which means like, oh, just give them a fun time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a superficial fun environment. I'm talking about understanding that when you that you can create very powerful spiritual experiences and perhaps even intellectual experiences but that you have to get there by understanding that for kids, they're going to find it with each other in groups. Um, and and you can they can be channeled, and I think this is a very Israeli thing, they can be channeled towards meaning. Our kids are very into like communal giving. It can be channeled into very powerful, real, meaningful, spiritual, intellectual experiences, but, it, but, we, but, but we have to get them back into, into um, healthy social environments with healthy mentors. So, Johnny, I want to turn to you because you obviously are also the parent of teenagers, and uh, I'm the parent of a teenager and a budding teenager. And um, what I wanted to sort of ask you is along with Molly, the lines that Molly said, it's, it's so fascinating because here in Israel, we had COVID and we were just getting back to things. And then we had two weeks of really essentially COVID again, back to online Zoom school, back to not seeing your friends, back to not. And now, essentially, school's almost over. Meaning, if you ask the if you ask kids mentally, they've already pretty much checked out. So, and now they're going back to to the summer. So, how do we? Uh, normally, summer is a great break because they saw each other and they whatever. So, I would say in the United States, where a lot of kids go to summer camp, that's probably the the thing that they need the most if you can afford it or whatever. That's the thing. That's the the that that. That socialization, as Molly describes, and the time they have together, and quite honestly, the spiritual passion and the idealism of the summer camp and the excitement, I think that's great. 
Here in Israel, there isn't summer camp in the way there is. I don't know, in England, was there summer camp? You'll tell me. But here in Israel, there isn't summer camp in that way. Kids are much, much more on their own, find a job, hang out with their friends a little bit, basically sleep till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So how do you, after a whole year of COVID, when they don't have that interaction, you know, you know what kids do when you tell them, go find a friend. Like, you know, they, I think they basically tell you, uh, get out of my life, but could you drive me to, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't tell me what to do and whatever. Uh, what do you do now, after COVID, now summer? What are we supposed to do? So I think these are really, really important questions. Uh, I, I like the way you frame those questions. I like the way Miley's given us, again, a sense of context in terms of the value and the hierarchy and the importance of socialization. I agree that, you know, we thought we had light at the end of the tunnel and then we had these barrage of rockets, which then, at least from a home environment, meant we were all back on computers, all back at home and even more tense. I'm, and, I'm and sorry, I'll just interrupt you for a second. I was talking to my son and we were like, well, now we had the pandemic and we had the war. So the only thing left is we're going to have zombie apocalypse. You know, <laughs> what, else, what else is left? You know, that's, that's the next thing. Go ahead. That was his um, idea. We like zombies. <laughs> I mean, I mean uh, we could spend time discussing. I don't think it's our primary focus of attention. But, you know, we, we were a family which tried to have really clear boundaries about screens. And obviously, COVID kind of decimated that. Um, for a whole variety of reasons, both in terms of work, in terms of room, in terms of quiet, in terms of just keeping kids somewhat happy when you have lots of other children at home, uh, all with different demands and all making different noises. So a lot of things have been lost. My eldest daughter is doing Bagriot, and uh, for sure this has had an impact on her. Um, one of my other daughters, she goes to Ulpana, but not in our local community. So Though when she was learning online, she wasn't having at least her school friends in, nearby. She was having her weekend friends nearby, but her school friends were far away. And so she found that a lot, lot harder. Whereas my eldest daughter, she studies nearby. So when she didn't have school, still she was able to hang out more on Friday nights with her school friends. In terms of the summer, we all certainly need to plan, I think, a little bit more than we ordinarily would in terms of giving... Uh, our kids and ourselves, I think, a sense of structure and also things to look out for. I personally, as a teacher, as a parent, it's been an exhausting year. Um, and uh, we, I just finished my last classes in Midrash at Lindemann, and I have to say, my students have really so inspired me, um, precisely because it's been a hard year, yet they've continued to learn. And I would say... Ironically, I think I have... the seminary kids, not having been there, probably had... A, a far better year learning-wise and, you know, gibush-wise than they ever could have had. I mean, Molly, yeah, you'll tell me yes or no. It wasn't an I mean, easy year. I didn't say it's easy. I didn't I'm, say easy. Also, I have to just echo Johnny. I'm super impressed with my students. They were hit with corona, with COVID. Then they were hit with Mayron. Don't forget that that really affected the seminary kids because yeah. uh, Donnie Mervis was killed, who many of them knew. Then they had a war, which for many Israelis is much more role, role with the punches. Um, it was not an easy year. And oh, I, 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 I didn't was, say it was easy no, no, year. No, I think they had. A, I, I, I think they had a meaningful year more than they ever, more than any of their peers could have had. I really, I believe that. It's I true do. that difficult years definitely. You know, for some it's make or break. For some it's too much. But for many, um, it was in general, you know, conflict and uh, it often leads to growth. I've I've experienced that. I think Johnny says saying that he's experienced the same thing with his students. Right, and but I was going to say in, in the context, not just of my students, also my kids. You know, um, there's a word which we've been using for, from the Jewish tradition for many, 
millennia, Amelut, which uh, Angela Duckworth wrote about in her book Grit. And what I've found is my students and my kids, and I think even we as a family, by having to confront these difficulties, we've had to delve more into the grit toolbox. And though, of course, I, I, all of us would have wash, wished that the year be slightly different, I think my children have learned life skills of adaptation, of being flexible, of being more gritty, uh, more this year than perhaps any previous year. It's where a lot of the things we hoped to happen didn't happen. And how we reacted to that really is a test of the life skills that all of us have to develop. And in school, for example, often teachers go out of their way, especially for elementary and high school kids, to give them what they need, you know, have things nicely done. Here, most kids were more autonomous. They had to uh, you know, open a computer, uh, join classes. A lot more was reliant on them to be organized. Some didn't succeed. And there were lots of news reports about those who really struggled. Some you know, coasted, some did a little bit better. But nevertheless, I'd say a lot of kids, although probably not all, enriched their grit toolbox. And I suspect that that will be beneficial to them in the medium to long term in terms of how to deal with the punches and the blows which often come your way. Because when you're a teenager, some kids have, lot, have challenges they really need to face, but some overall, as you say, get their parents to take you to the mall and the teachers try and go out of the way to make life a little bit easier. And other than the ups and downs of life, things can be relatively you know, problem-free. All teenagers had a tough time, or not just teenagers, kids, elementary age kids, and others as well. And that grittiness, I think, will pay its dividends in the coming years. So I want to just chime in with it with some questions. I think about I, I think about kids' spirituality, Molly, not from their socialization, but I, I I wonder. Like we live in a time where everyone's connected and everyone knows what's going on, and to see so much uh, pain and death, and the idea of pandemics and suffering, it it's more than I think it is amplified when they see it on social media and then you see it at home all the time and you're just aware of it all of the time. And even if you didn't suffer from COVID yourself, you knew someone in your community who did, you knew someone who lost a relative, that sense of worry and anxiety, I, I, don't, I, I'm, I don't know how, I think we don't know, you know, like they say about COVID, that, that medically, the people who had COVID, they don't know. What, what's going to be with them? They don't know how it's going to affect them long term. I think the same can be said for kids' spirituality. I myself feel something in myself has changed over the year. My connection to my community, my, my lack of connection to my community, the way I think about davening. I just, I think about it differently now after the year. I don't, you know, I, I, and I think a lot of people are doing that, and I think kids more than anything are, are doing that because it's in their formative years. They haven't developed habits that they m might have otherwise developed vis-a-vis -vis their friends, vis-a-vis -vis their, their, their connection to God, and hopefully that will come, but I, I really don't know. I, I think that the same things we don't know would happen, uh, you know, in the medical sense. We don't know what's going to happen in the, in the spiritual sense and the personal development sense as well. I think, like you said, only, I mean, you didn't say this, only time will tell, but I think there has to be an awareness of that and uh, an acute awareness of that. All right, I want to ask you both another question. 
similar about related to COVID. But before we do that, as we always do, we'll take a quick break and come back right after this. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ila, a halachic query or a halachic topic that you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with a magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, now we're back. Uh, Johnny, you mentioned, you alluded to something uh, that I think is on the minds of many, many of us. You had rules in your household before COVID. You mentioned screens. But you had rules in your house before COVID that literally went out the window. So I'll just tell you from our family perspective, I similarly had rules. I am an extremely tough parent when it comes to cell phones. And for my older children, they did not have smartphones until much, much later. But my son, <laughs> he went into quarantine, literally went into quarantine, his yeshiva, you know, his Rosh Yeshiva came back, if you all recall, from America, got, came down with COVID, was like patient 38 or something. The entire yeshiva went into quarantine. And it was like, it was new and it was impossible. And to me, the idea of him being stuck without being connected to his friends on WhatsApp when they're all WhatsApping all over the place was was um, was too difficult for me to imagine for him. So I went out and bought him a cell phone, which he was extremely happy about. And was, you know, like, uh, he took to the quarantine much more than I ever would. But that genie's out of the bottle now. Like, I personally feel, I've heard talks about this, and I, I thought, Molly, do you, you think about this. I think constant WhatsApp is incredibly destructive to kids' development. Not that they shouldn't be connected, but that they're always connected, that they're always socially connected. There's never any downtime to them. And so we, have, we try to enforce rules that say that you don't sleep with your phone. You put it downstairs. You have to have some downtime away from your phone. But nonetheless, for us, like that genie's out of the bottle. I, can know, I, cannot, take away his, I, can, I cannot take away his smartphone. It's, a part, like it's, it's an appendage on him the way it's an appendage on me. Again, you said mentioned screens. So my question for you, Johnny, is, once the rules went out the window in COVID, can you now dial them back? Can you come to your kid and say, well, that was, it was a crazy year, but you know, we really believe X, Y, Z, and therefore you know, the screen time that you had then, we're not going to do that anymore? Or do you have to say, listen, each kid, and you know, they've been kind of, kind of become accustomed to something, and the parents have to roll with the punches, and uh, things aren't going to be the same the way they were. Right. I think it's a very important question. I actually want to add one further dimension. Uh, I myself, uh, a lot of the work I do is very kind of uh, mind intensive, and I try and switch off things like WhatsApp when I'm doing editing, when I'm writing an article. But during this past year or so, because every kid has had different needs, often at a moment's notice, 
I haven't been able to turn things off because I need to be available for them. And so, you know, this has had an impact on, on everybody. My personal uh, you know, ability to focus has been significantly reduced, um, which has an impact on workflow, etc. Because we have to be attentive to them and they have to be attentive to their teachers and all of this kind of stuff. And sure, no, more discipline probably could have been employed, but nevertheless, it's been one of those things where everybody expects everybody to be available at any time. And actually, oftentimes that's been proven to be the case. Uh, I don't, I think that we had a rule, for example, no screens in bedrooms uh, prior to COVID, a very strict one. Uh, again, that just it was utterly impractical to keep. Um, I think that some kind of midpoint is necessary. Um, uh, but, and, and uh, you know, I think I've mentioned to you guys, I've done, a, I did a dissertation on the impact of smartphones on the Yeshivan Seminary year. And we need to educate about usages. Um, we educate about usages. Here in this case, it became the tool for education for many kids, how they were in contact with their teachers on a reg regular basis. It was a necessary way to hear what they needed to do for certain classes. Now that that's not necessarily the case, we need to re-educate for usages. And for hopefully the coming academic year, the smartphone will merely be something much more social and something much less as a necessary tool for academic success. And with that means one can be a little bit more boundaried. But I, I, it's important to have that conversation. And it's important to have, have it with a sense of understanding as to why we did what we did and why we too need to pivot as we as families, as individuals did uh, a year and a half ago and pretty much every week since then, up, down, more uh, one way or another. So I just think it's important to have those conversations. Um, and, and be honest uh, in terms of saying, this is why we think this is a good thing. Uh, yes, sleeping with a cell phone near you is a very bad thing for a whole variety of reasons. And it's certainly not something an adult should do, definitely not something a child should be doing. Uh, but overall, yeah, figuring out how things work. Just, I'll tell you one quick thing and then I'll move on to Mali. You know, there was a time when four of my kids were in Bidud in our house. But my wife and I had to stay very far away from them so that we didn't get COVID. So the only way we were able to basically, you know, feed them and be in contact and be parents to my, my twins at the time, they were nine. We, we, we were faced You had a crazy year. That, you really had a crazy with, year. <laughs> with, with, with my kids, uh, with my older kids helping them, obviously. So, um, and I remember I told somebody something. They said, obviously, you must have contracted. I said, no, we didn't. But we needed tech. We used technology to make sure we could maintain that distance. So... As, as said, people had to work with what they had. Thank God we have these incredible technological tools, but we need to now re-educate ourselves about how to use them in the way that they were used prior. But also, I'd say one final thing, and this is something I'd written about in my dissertation some years ago. Schools used to think that cell phones can't be used for education. I actually disagreed. I think they can. They just need to be done smart. I think schools need to recognize that kids do have cell phones and cell phones can be used for education in the right smart way. And I hope that schools are able to harness this tool because you can't fight against it. You need to figure out a way to include it to the right measure in the right manner. Um, and so I think there's a further conversation about educational institutions figuring out how to positively use technology such that they're not seen as disruptions of learning, but instead 
tools for learning. Okay, Molly, I want to get your feedback on this, but you know, I actually, I'm, if you want to talk about screens, that's fine. But it wasn't. It's not specifically about screens. It's also about about can you dial back rules? Because I think all of us loosen sort of. You know, I, I personally believe that discipline is important, especially for younger kids. I mean, we start with teenagers, but especially for younger kids, they need that discipline. They need to feel the security of those limits. I feel that very strongly. When COVID came around, it was very little structure. It, 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 we all, I felt that, you know, it's not fair to some degree. You want to give them structure, but it's not fair. And we all felt that. So talk about dialing it back. Talk about trying to, how do you, can you dial it back? Should you dial it back? What do you think? Right, so I think, I think um, that Johnny was very correct when he talked about communication, because I think that's probably the, the heart of, of, of how you sort of, sort of move to a solution. I think that you're right. I think that in general, parenting is always about the dance of love and limits, right? Meaning, um, how do you create a space that's boundaried for the kid so that the kid feels safe because they know that they have a boundary and that they're not going to fall off an edge and that they're not, you know, kind of in a world of chaos and, and tohu vavohu and that there's somebody protecting them, but there's also space for them to develop their autonomy. And again, as, as, as we were saying before, when they move into teenagehood, that, 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 um, um, what's the word? The, 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 um, the, you have to renegotiate the, 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 the love versus limits, right? You have to maybe give them more autonomy. But I think the, but, but you still have to have rules, as you said, Ruby. And I think that the key is um, healthy communication and good dialogue. And I think that's, and again, I think that that starts in with, if you start with your, the opening healthy communication, I think I went to this from Rabbi David Nativ, who's amazing. Um, he said, if someone I think asked him about parenting, and he said, healthy communication, healthy communication, healthy communication. And he said, if you start it when the kids are young, it'll continue, and they'll still talk to you when they're when they're in high school and and beyond. Which I think is, he's not the only one who said that, but I think it's very true. Um, but even if you don't have it, you can always re re kind of center that as as a value. Um, and I think it's the key to all the things we were talking about when you were like, you know, how do I reset boundaries? Well, you do it through healthy, respectful communication with your child. How do you, um, you know, Ruby talk, uh, Johnny talked about grit. And I think that's great, right? And, 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 and I think that's a great idea, but there are also so many kids drowning in anxiety and depression. So this idea of grit needs to be articulated in communication with the kids. They need to be thrown this as a lifeline, right? I know things are hard. I know things seem bad, right? Or to, Ruby, your question about the spirituality, I think you, you said that so beautifully and it kind of, it hit me back on a conversation that I had with one of my own kids who was talking about this this issue, and it made me realize like I think I need to give him more space and validate and hear him when he talks about um, the losses of the year. You know, is, are your kids talking about the losses? So yeah, they are. At least my teenager is. He is. Interesting. Yeah, and so I think what what's needed is is again like that space for the communication, and then that that. Um, tightrope that we're holding that tug of war I, 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 the, you know the image of holding two ends of a rope some people find it too like adversarial because tug of war is, is an adversarial you know kind of a game but I don't see it as adversarial I see it as as, as, as holding attention that's keeping two people connected but is giving each one the space to also be pulling in their own direction so I, I, I would go back to that but like the only way you're gonna you'll be able to do that is if you create healthy respectful dialogue on the one hand where you make space and you give room and you listen and you respect but you also still give that 
that those those you, you you still assert your authority when necessary and how do you know what's the right amount i think you said it before ruby each kid might need a different amount right and each kid might 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 um depending on their personality you might have to have different uh, different types of rules for different types of kids at different ages right well when not when you when you were 16 you were allowed this my older brother was allowed that right okay but the kids are different and and the and but i think that the dialogue and the communication the explaining why you're doing what you're doing you're still the authority the buck still stops with you right it's not which one is okay with you but explaining what you're doing and they don't get the deciding vote but they definitely get to have a voice that's heard i think that's probably the, the key to all of these things great um johnny i wanted to ask you an additional question do you think we've given our kids spiritual tools to deal with to deal with the past year and obviously as a spiritual coach what kind of tools do you think we should be giving them uh, I don't think we have. Uh, truth be told, I think most of us aren't quite sure of the right spiritual tools to deal with tragedy. We have such rituals, you know, for example, when somebody's nifter, we have a ritual of the shiva. Um, but unless you're actively involved in responding to a particular tragedy, uh, which obviously those who did that their actions were part of their response if you're merely thinking about things i think we haven't done more than necessarily encourage people to say to him which by the way even the recitation of Tehillim is meant to then be anchored into actions which we are not so good at educating we simply think often say to him and magic will happen um i don't think we've necessarily uh, given kids clear spiritual tools to deal with these feelings of fear, these uh, feelings of uncontrollable loss, or, or, of this idea of pandemic. I, I even think, and we've briefly touched on it before in previous sessions, that there has been a, a, li a limit, a, a dearth of, um, of clear guidance from Ballet Machshava on this particular issue over the past year, year and a half. Overall, and I've said it before, I think we as religious Jews, and I'm speaking including ourselves, haven't been good enough in giving a religious response, both in terms of prayer and in terms of thought. Um, and so what have our kids done? Our kids have, have kind of perhaps marginalized faith in all of these events when these events perhaps could have helped us be be led by faith a little bit more maybe that's because we're um, struggling i mean i mean, I, mean I, th I think it is uh, and i i'm not I'm, not I'm not suggesting otherwise i think a lot of us were like weren't quite sure what to do and what to think um and a lot of us dealt with a lot of confusion and and, and tension and, and and fear as i say but nevertheless you know i mentioned we were supposed to and I think we're still always supposed to feel that whatever's happening, God is with us. And we need to heed not just the, uh, the, the notion that God is present in our lives, but also heed the words of God, which is Torah. And the words of God were very clear. And by doing what we're supposed to do, by adhering to the Hanchayot, I think we did pay attention to the Ratzon Hashem to a certain measure, but we didn't certainly 
make fully sense of what was going on, nor do I think we necessarily have until now. And it'll probably take some time, as it often does in Jewish history. Only after the event do we often are able to start theologically making sense of the event. But one thing we do know is we went from Kilot to individual houses and individuals on their own. And it reminded us on a very powerful level of the power of being with others when that was taken from us. It reminded us of the extraordinary energy of being with others when that was taken from us. And there, there are lessons to be learned in terms of valuing the other, valuing that sense of, of community, of gathering, of being present, physically present in the life of another, not just from a human perspective, but also from a spiritual perspective as well. Molly, I'd love to hear what you think. Spiritual tools. So first of all, I, I just, you know, what I was thinking of as Johnny was speaking, and even before when you asked the question was, you know, it could be that Gush Etzion is more strong in this than other areas, but like our kids have been through rough things before. They've been through Piguim, they've been through loss of peers, they've been through loss of parents of peers. And the way that they always manage is 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 what Johnny said at the end, which and is what I, was, what I was talking about at the beginning, which is they come together, right? And they don't, it, they they act together, right? What they they sing, they cry, they 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 light candles, they basically sing. That's what they do, right? They just that's that's what Israeli youth does, and that and, and they don't they're not given answers, right? It's not what, what helps them is not um, a sicha by the rav and why bad things happen to good people, right? They all learn that. Interesting. Here, the rav gave a sicha and why bad things happen. Okay, to good that's people. not what's going to help teens. Maybe it is. Maybe they should have those do you name it. I'm not saying. I don't blame him. They asked him to give. I'm not saying there isn't a place for it, right? Uh, by but the I'm way, saying, I was when I walked by, they were all there. Of course, the because they're all asking these questions. But I think what's most healing is that is 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 them having social support from each other to lean on. I think that's really mm-hmm. what's in general in these situations. And, and usually, as Johnny said, they channel it into action. And I think our youth very much channel, right, when there's a loss, they channel it into some type of giving action. And, and that was kind of taken from us because we couldn't do that in the Pigua and we were all kind of flailing and not knowing how to handle it. And I think Johnny's right to some degree, the, the, the family unit um, you know, to the degree that the family unit could say, okay, we're having a family movie night, then great. But we were all taxed and we were all exa- exhausted. And by the third lockdown, nobody wanted a family movie night. You just wanted your kids to leave you alone. You just wanted to lock yourself in your room, right? So, like, it was a very hard year in all of those ways. And I think Johnny's right that, like, the the so the connection is always the connection is, is again, like, if you, they, they talk about fight, flight, or freeze, right? Tr- stress response, fight, fight, or fle- freeze. The the, the antidote is called tend and befriend, right? Social support is always one of the major, you asked for tools, it's always one of the major tools, right? Listening, empathizing, being there, letting a person express, letting a person tell their story, letting a person keep telling it over and over, that's a big part of it. But, but if you think about it, you can't have that without social support. That is, it's, it's one of the most central factors. And um, I think we have to think about that, how we, how we as, you, as you said before, how are we gonna put that back into our kids' lives, that 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 to me is like the most the most important thing. I think we can do it. I think, as you know, you know, as Johnny, as you both said, whether it's a structure of a family vacation, whether it's making sure your kid has something to do over the summer that's a volunteering experience that's fun, or or, or a machane that's fun with their peers, but like don't just let it go. I think it's important to think practically about how am I going to make sure that my kid has a 
has has a and all of us not just all of us how are we going to reconnect in ways that are nourishing um and not 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 superficial right like i don't really feel like going to kiddushes anymore quite frankly um all my peers in Olinshwood who are hearing me sorry if i don't show up to your kiddush it's just not what i need anymore but i do need <laughs> um i do need to hang out with my friends right and i think we all have to figure out how we reconnect in ways that are going to be meaningful and nourishing for us personally Danny, I'll say I'll just add one quick thing, which is um, where people have said, "Could you do something with me?" Even if if a year ago I would have said, "I'll try," and I really would have tried. Now I'll try even harder because the level of need of people to connect with people is, I think, exceedingly great. And when a person is able to formulate saying, "Can you be?" Now go with me to this place or can you spend time with me if my kids say can you do this with me i take it even more seriously i already took it very seriously beforehand because uh it's been a really tough year and and people want that sense of of connection so uh my if somebody reaches out and says you know can you meet me for coffee they're probably saying a lot, lot more than can you meet for coffee just last week a student of mine i hadn't heard from for a while they said you know It'd be really nice to catch up. To my mind, that was code of I really need to talk, and and uh, I made sure we, we we were able to do that. Yeah, the trick so, though, Johnny, is so many of the. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know about kids. Me, I like I you know I miss interaction with people, but just my nature is not to be such a way that I'm going to reach out to somebody and say, oh, let's go out for coffee. And achat kama vekama, kids are not going to do that because of so many myriad reasons. And the question is, how do, you, how do you see what they're needing and offer it to them in a way that they can accept it? And I don't, I don't know, I have no idea. You can also you understand ask. understand what I'm saying, Molly? Yeah, but I think you can ask. I think we forget sometimes that you can ask, right? We think we have to mind read, we think we have to know. I think you can say to a kid, like, um, how are you feeling? What do you need? How's it going, right? Even often like when you're driving them somewhere in the car, because like you don't want to have too intense a conversation with the teen, just ask them. Like, like so often people think I have to know the answer to certain questions and they forget like you can actually open up, you can actually ask, right? And I think that's really important. Okay, I think we're going to leave it off here. Um, it was good for me. It really was. At least it's always good to revisit these topics and to think about being better parents. I, th I think it's important to talk about parenting, to think about it and to focus on it and uh, just to re remind ourselves that, I mean... I think many of the, most of the parents I know think about it a lot and worry about it and are good parents, but it's always good to do a little bit of a refresher. So thanks very much. Uh, we're going to stop here. I want to thank Molly Brovsky, our Rob Johnny Solomon. I want to thank my son Pitachia for writing our music. As always, we're always looking to spread the RZ Weekly um, magic. So if you would do us a favor and give it, write us a review or share. Many people have been sharing recently, and that helps us quite a bit and allows new people to, to explore and discover our podcast. My name is Jermaine Spolter. Have a great weekend.